Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Coo Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Graw, New Whale. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and ghosts are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Mero Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I am your host at your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 84 of Fireside. Today on the Irish storytelling podcasts, we begin new uncharted territory as we hear about the wars of the Gael and the Gaul. But first, if this is your very first time listening, you are very welcome along. If you are a returning listener, thank you so much for your continued support. Please do follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bard if you want to get in touch or just find out updates on the podcast or what I'm doing. Uh, if you don't have Instagram, you can email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. And if you really want to support the podcast, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash firesidepodcast, where you can join our now ever-growing list of very loyal and generous benefactors. I want to give a big shout out to this week's newest patron, which is D. Courtney, she joins Sumner Scholl and Martin Karen as our most recent patrons to the I'm more and more pleasantly surprised and absolutely delighted that the Patreon is is growing more and more each time. It's an incredibly competitive market and seeing it build up little by little, it seems like the idea of me being able to earn some kind of living or being able to pay some kind of level of my bills through this podcast seems it seems within reach and it seems an absolutely crazy thing to be in reach because I love doing this podcast so much and I get so much out of it. But the pleasure and the added uh, inspiration and kind of drive that that gives me that there are those of you out there who have uh, seen it, seen it in yourselves to be so generous to donate to it really, really does keep me going. But that said, the Patreon is just there as an egalitarian model. It is purely on soundness. If you want to keep listening for free, you go right ahead and do that. It is not going to stop me writing and releasing and recording this podcast each and every week. Because like I said, it is my it is my favorite thing to do. It's the thing I'm very much proud of. As I mean, We're at 84 episodes now. I mean, 100 episodes is just a few, few short weeks away. And that's nothing to be turn your nose up at at all is it 100 episodes of something my god but that's a while away we're on 84 but the patreon is there if you so want and gave a shout out to them so today on the podcast i am once again back in the beautiful surroundings of the headstuff podcast network studios it's only my second time being back in the studio since the lockdown and it's fantastic to be back it's been fantastic to be starting to be back in dublin and even though the work really hasn't come back at all and uh, we don't know what will happen 
in the near or distant future and we don't even really know what's going to happen with with covid and the lockdown because the latest seems to be that uh well here in ireland certainly would be could be regressing one of our phases at least uh, the pubs might have to close again which would be terrible but we will all soldier on and struggle so me having this podcast and me having the studio to come back into now is a fantastic boost. It's a fantastic lift. And I'm delighted that in a world where there is so, where particularly for artists, for everyone, but uh, definitely in the arts, basically all of our work has dried up and been taken away from us. And it's not even possible for us to put on shows. Uh, so for me to be able to come in and do this podcast is a huge thrill. It's a, it's a luxury that a lot of artists, my fellow artists, do not have. And I am going to keep trucking along working hard at this podcast trying to grow it as much as possible have it reach as wide an audience so that when we can put on our live shows again the fireside live shows will come back with a vengeance but we move on today to new chair new territory for the last few weeks i've been talking about the possibility of this i've hinted at it i've talked about it in months past and everything since the beginnings of this podcast I have always wanted to incorporate the Viking saga of Irish history because I a couple of reasons. Number one, one of the three main reasons I started this podcast was because of the book Norse Mythology by Neil Gaiman. That's actually where I got the name Fireside Bard from. Uh, from a review for Norse mythology where it said Gaiman adopts the po- the position of a fireside bard. And I loved that so much. I loved that so much as a phrase, but that's where that came from. And it was a combination of the popularity of Norse mythology by Neil Gaiman, mythos by Stephen Fry, and of my own folklore and mythology from Ireland or our own folklore and mythology which wasn't really being treated the same. You had Norse mythology and Greek myths as bestsellers together with Philip Pullman's book on grim fairy tales a number of years before that which I had actually bought in uh, Heathrow Airport before I got on a flight to Australia and it's still one of my favourite books. It's I think it is my favourite version of the grim tales anyway. You had all of these books of folklore mythology as bestsellers and nothing nothing on the Irish myths and I myself found that I was ignorant largely to a huge amount of the folklore and mythology of my native land despite knowing quite a lot about Roman and Greek and Norse mythology now through works through just growing up with them all my life but also through the recent works of Game and Fry and Pullman so I thought I can't just write a book and release it as a bestseller like like those those folks but what I could do is put it into a podcast because these are stories that are meant to be told orally you're meant to be listening to these you listen to them and then you tell them on yourself they tell them on to your friends to your family this is how they were always meant to exist and I couldn't be prouder to have just been even been able to share a couple of these stories with any of you out there. It's, it, nothing gives me greater joy than getting a messages from you where you say that it's a story you'd never heard or it's a story you told onto your family or that your grandparent had told to you and that you were now telling you to your kid. That's that's why it's worth doing alone. Like, and I hope that doesn't sound conceited or facetious or anything because I mean that genuinely. Why I'm saying all of this is that the Vikings have and the Norse mythology have always been on my radar 
because of this. And it's an incredibly untapped but fascinating aspect of Irish history is the 200 years that Vikings were in this, were on this island because the Vikings built our towns and cities, towns and cities that still hold those Viking names. We owe a huge amount of words even in the Irish language to Old Norse and the idea of mixing the mythologies, mixing the Celtic beliefs and mythology with the Norse beliefs and mythology and seeing how different they were because of the radically different terrains that they came from, but also then the similar, the similarities and the similar veins that they went to. But of course, there are so many resources and so many better versions of the Norse myths. So that was never going to be a thing I took on purely. But what I could do is frame it through approaching the Viking history of Ireland. While, and this is where it got into tricky territory, this was without doubt the most difficult episode of Fireside to write because you're dealing with history. You know, we've dealt with stories up to this point where... They are based on history, but they are mythic retellings of them. Now, we're dealing with a portion of history where not a huge amount of primary resources exist. A huge amount of it still is legend and hearsay and myth, which is what where I can lean into, where a historian maybe necessarily can't. A historian, you know, will have to clarify when things probably didn't exist, definitely didn't exist, Whereas a storyteller can lean in, can lean into the narrative of it and form the story from it. History, of course, doesn't behave in the three act structure of of storytelling. So that is kind of my disclaimer in a way. I am, as I will always say, I am not a historian. I am a storyteller. That said, I've done a huge amount of research, as much as I can, into this, into the history of this, because. <clears throat> I will not consciously write wrong or inaccurate information, something I know to be untrue for the sake of the story. And I will, to the best of my ability, rein in my imagination. Everything that I write here is true to the best of my ability or true to the true to legend. And I can clear up things afterwards and I can talk about my sources. But there are fantastic history podcasts, there are fantastic history books. You know, this is this is something new I'm trying. I think uh, I got a great kick out of writing it. It feels like a good direction for the podcast to go in. Uh, I am open to your responses and your feedback to that as always. But here we go. We're going to give it a go because this is a long, long introduction. But uh, this is The Wars of the Gale and the Gaul on Fireside. The Wars of the Gale and the gall. If a hundred heads of hardened iron could grow on one neck, and if each head possessed a hundred sharp, indestructible tongues of tempered metal, and if each tongue cried out incessantly a hundred ineradicable loud voices, they would not be able to enumerate the griefs which the people of Ireland, men and women, laymen and priests, young and old, have suffered at the hands of these warlike, ruthless pagans. The Annals of Ulster When Roman general... Gaius Julius Caesar defeated Gallic defender and king Vercingetorix at the Battle of Elysia. 
He finally put an end to the ten-year Gallic War which very nearly had brought the ancient Roman Republic to its knees. Thus was the final nail in the assimilation and subjugation of all the lands that had been occupied by the Gauls. These Gauls, or as they were otherwise known, Celts, had once been the dominant force of mainland Europe and its extremities. But due to the Tua tribe-clan system of their politics, the Celts could never quite unite themselves under one leader. By the time King Vercingetorix did succeed in uniting them, it was far too late. An ancient Gaul fell beneath the united might of the boots of ancient Rome. Piece by piece, the red of Rome spread across the former Celtic nations, even making it as far as the nation of Albion, or Britain. There, the Romans struggled against the Celtic queen Boudicca, and could only make it so far north before they abandoned Britain altogether. The untouched land to the north became the future Celtic nation of Scotland. One Gallic, or Gaelic-occupied land remained totally untouched by Rome. They had had dealings, even trading, with this island, for its wolfhounds, for its slaves, for its cattle. This island was known to the Romans as Hibernia, or Winterland. An island the people there had named after their sovereignty goddess, Era, the last holdout of the Roman Empire. Of course, that is due entirely to how far away from Rome the island is, having several bodies of water between them. But this is why today, when we think of the Celts and the Gaels, what comes to mind isn't France or Germany or even Britain. It is Era. And for a thousand years, the Celts were free from invasion. They had driven the old gods of the Tua de Danan underground and begun a new age of mortal heroes. Heroes of the Red Branch of Ulster, of the Warrior Queen of Connacht, of the Rebel Band of the Fianna. In fact, the greatest invasion of Ireland for nearly a millennia was not so much an invasion as a transition. That to Christianity. The Christian monks, whose trail was blazed by Patrick the Briton, known to drunkards on the 17th of March every year as Saint Patrick. Patrick used the native weed of the shamrock as a means to explain the Holy Trinity to the pagans of Era. These pagans who believed in the trinities of Era, Fola and Banba, and of Bav, Maka and Neiman, the Morrigan. The transition to Christianity in Era is considered one of the most bloodless transitions from one belief system to another in world history. It wasn't all bloody crusades. Because the Romans had not conquered Era, no towns or cities had yet been built on the island. Just ring forts built into hills for Gaelic chieftains and their kin. This didn't change too much with the arrival of the Christians. They built monasteries and towers, but mostly these monks wanted to use Ireland as a place to pray in peace and write down the events of history while every other country was too busy setting the world on fire. This was, of course, a double-edged sword. We have those Christian monks to thank for preserving our history and mythology, 
But both of these they altered to fit their own beliefs, including the total undermining of the matriarchal society we had been and beginning the patriarchy that we are all still trying to unshackle ourselves from today. As a brief case in point, the Tode Danan are the people of the goddess Danu, a goddess who there are no stories about left. We are told she does not even come to Era with her children. It is only the men, the father god, the Dagda, and her son, Nuda, law of Aragid, who led her people. Unfortunate coincidence? Or Christians deliberately trying to erase the idea of a female god? I'll have to leave that one to you. All this deliciously chunky and dense history is to give a brief background to what had happened to this island in the days before the late years of the 8th century. Free from invasion, no towns and cities, just a Tua clan people, Christian monks in towers. Oh, and the Christians have gold. That's important. Gold, land, and people. Hmm... One has to put themselves in the head of a Christian monk who was sitting at the top of his tower in Rathlin Island in the northernmost part of the island in the year 795. God, isn't this great? I'm a monk, here in me tower, writing and eating and praying all day. Few coins of gold, beautiful surroundings. It doesn't get much better than this. What in God's name is that? That poor monk was looking at a fleet of ships from the north. Longboats containing a new people who would change the course of Irish history forever. These invaders were not Christians, nor did they believe in the Tua de Danum. They believed in their own gods. The All-Father, Odin, the god of war and poetry. The barrel-chested mighty Thor, God of thunder, the sea, and the skies. The fertility gods, Frey and Freya. And of course, the devious trickster god, Loki. To compare homeworlds, the Celts, who praised the sun, the plough, and the hazel, they were a rural farming people. These new invaders came from the north of what would become known as Scandinavia. Scandinavia at the time was inhospitable, cold and dark, so its people were hardened by severe weather conditions. They called themselves Norsemen, but the people of Era would come to know them by another name. Advances in weapon and shipbuilding had led to the creation of a new Nordic activity, coming from the old Norse word vik, which means a cove, inlet or fjord, came the term to go a Viking, to raid, marauder, and plunder. They were the original pirates, and such was their influence that we still know the entire Norse people as Vikings. The Vikings believed that Odin was preparing for the end of days, Ragnarok, when the children of Loki would rise up against the gods of Asgard. There was the great Midgard serpent, Midgard being the mortal world, Asgard the world of the gods, the mighty wolf Fenrir, and the daughter of Loki, Hela, from which we get the word Hel. 
However, due to the frozen wastelands known to the Norsemen, hell to them was a cold place, not full of heat and fire, which to them were signs of comfort and security. The Vikings also had very firm beliefs about death. They believed that the Allfather was arming warriors for Ragnarok, and that only the very greatest of them were welcome in his hall. This was known as Valhalla, and the only way to get into Valhalla was to die in battle, with a sword or an axe in your hand. It was considered a great shame if a Viking died of old age, and a one-way ticket to an evening in hell. For women, one of the most noble deaths was to die in childbirth, which sent you to Folkvanger, the Hall of Freya. Folkvanger was also where great warriors who didn't quite make the final squad for Valhalla. One thing the Norsemen very definitely shared with the Celts, and indeed the ancient Greeks, was the value of hospitality. But like everything with them, for the Norse, matters were a little more extreme. In the long, cold nights of winter, with sub-zero temperatures and barely hours of sunlight, choosing to allow a visitor in or not could be sentencing them to live or die. More. Odin and Loki, in particular, were known to frequently visit Midgard in disguise. So the stranger you send out into the cold could well be one of the gods. How much time spent indoors could also well be why we know so much more about the beliefs of the ancient Norse. They spent so much time inside by the fireside, telling and retelling these stories, protecting their oral tradition... Of course, much has still been lost with time, but when compared with the fragments we have of the four cycles of Irish myth, with thanks and criticism in equal measure to the aforementioned Christian monks, the Norsemen have the edge. But it was in the 8th century, after the collapse of the Roman Empire, when the Norsemen combined their own longboats with sailing techniques of the Romans, making longboats that were smaller, lighter, faster and stronger than any boat used anywhere in the world. With this new prowess, the Norse took to the seas. With no centralised government, there were kings on land and kings on the sea. They had no interest in settling new land, not yet at least. It was all about the swag, the booty, and most importantly, the slaves. And the Vikings found plenty of this in the tiny windy island known as Era. For forty years the Vikings raided the coastlines of Era, the monasteries of Rathlin, the Skelligs and Iona. Such was the wealth plundered and the slaves captured in the Christian monasteries that the Vikings raided on one tower four times in one decade, always finding something or someone worth taking. It was only in 837 AD did the Vikings come to the island to stay. A band of Norsemen led by a sea king named Turges. Turges has sometimes been identified with Ragnar Lothbrok, one of the great and legendary heroes of the Viking Age. Turges had been marauding the Irish coastlines for over 15 years when he returned with 120 Viking longboats. They arrived at the east coast half of them sailing up the river Boyne to the north, the others taking the river Liffey to the south. The river Liffey eventually merges with another smaller river known as the Poddle. 
At this site, where the River Poddle meets the River Liffey, a pool forms of black water. The Irish language word for black is thuv, and the Irish word for pool is lin. So from this black pool, we have Dublin, which was anglicised as the name of the future Irish capital, Dublin. It was Turgays who first built a settlement by this black pool on the former Celtic site of Clea. Today, the capital of Dublin in Irish is still known as Balia Clea. And in 841, a city was founded, and Turgays became the first Viking king of Dublin. Dublin was the seat of Viking power in Ireland. In fact, at the height of the Viking Age, the geographical location, with Era lying in the centre of the Viking Empire, there was a time when Dublin was the greatest city in the Viking Empire. The greatest Viking longboat ever discovered was made using Irish oak. And Dublin was not the only town built by the Norse. Many of these still exist and hold their Viking names. Carlingford, Hagsfjord, Waterford, Ramsfjord and Wicklow. Viking Meadow, the latter town being the home of your humble storyteller. Furthermore, it was the Vikings who gave the island the name it holds today, Ireland, which I believe translates to Island Island. Thank you, Vikings. It should also be said that Turgays was King of Dublin, not King of Ireland. There were still the Celtic chieftains who ruled their own small kingdoms, and for 200 years these chieftains were at constant war with the Vikings. These would later be documented as Koga Gyal Rigalip, or the Wars of the Gael with the Foreigners. The Celts were supremely outmatched in naval craft and weaponry. They had nothing to match the Norse sophistication on that front, but that didn't stop them from fighting, and sometimes even winning. Since the landing of the Tua de Danon, there had been many kings of Era, none greater than the High King Atara. Nuda Lovaragit, Lulavada, the Dagda, all had held this most high of positions. In fact, on Leah Fall, the stone of destiny on the hill of Tara was cracked when Cucullan stepped on it, and it did not proclaim him High King. Despite the lineage of the High King of Tara since the landing of the Gales, the position of High King had been largely symbolic, much like the current presidency of the island. There had been many kings, but never a truly unifying High King. Not until, like the Gauls with the Romans, the Celts of Era now had a common enemy to unite against. While Turgays was king of Dublin, there was a subordinate Irish chieftain named Mael Shocknell, or as he was otherwise known and shall be furthermore called, Malachy. Malachy was the king of the neighbouring kingdom of Meath, where the kingdom of Tara dwells. Malachy went in supplication to Dublin and stood before Turgays. He begged the Viking king for advice. Mighty Turgays, my land is infested with birds. How may I get rid of them? Without taking even a second moment to think, Turgay's replied, To wipe out the bird, you must destroy the nest. Malachy thanked the King of Dublin and left, 
Thurgays had no idea he was advising Malachi how to defeat not birds, but Vikings. Thurgays was intent on marrying the daughter of Malachi. On the night before the wedding, Malachi sent his daughters with twelve attendants. They shaved their legs and faces and made themselves out to be twelve innocent handmaidens. They were, in fact, assassins. When they arrived in Dublin and Turgays grabbed Malachi's daughter to defile her, the assassins sprang and took the Viking king into captivity. Then Malachi and his own forces stormed the keep, and for the first time since its founding, Dublin lay in Irish hands. The entire house was slaughtered except for Turgays, who was taken prisoner and brought to the kingdom of Mead. There, in Loch Owl, in today's Westmead, as was befitting his Viking blood, Turgays, the first Viking king of Dublin, was drowned. One thing that is very important to note is the narrative of Irish history frequently presents it as Celt versus Viking. Like history never is, the story is not so simple. The Vikings who settled in Ireland were Norse, from modern Norway. But once the value of this island nation and its slaves revealed itself, another Viking clan came on Irish shores. The Danes. The Danish Vikings actually formed an alliance with the Irish against the Norse. And in 851, at the Hagsford Lake, Carlingford Lock, a great naval battle took place. Dane against Norse, but the Danes with the help of the Irish. For three days the naval battle raged, with the Vikings praying to the gods of war, Odin, and the god of thunder and sea, Thor. But on the third day, on the advice of the Irish, the Danes prayed instead to an Irish god, a god named Patrick. Invoking this Patrick the god, the Danes and the Irish won the battle, and for a time drove the Norse out of Ireland. This happened several times, of the Vikings praying to their own gods while pandering to the Irish by invoking Patrick, who they either didn't know or didn't care actually wasn't a god. But the Norse were far from defeated. Soon they returned in the greatest fleet to ever arrive in Ireland, led by a new Norse king, Olaf the White. The wars of the Gale and the Gaul were far from over. To be continued. And that is the story of the wars of the Gale and the Gaul, or the beginning of the wars of the Gale and the Gaul on Fireside. And I hope you enjoyed it. My word, that was a beast. There was a lot of information thrown at you. And uh, trust me, there's a lot of information for me to wade through as well. I hope you found it interesting because I love this stuff. I've always, I'm, I, like I said, I'm not a historian. But I'm a big history geek. And I suppose history is so hard to adapt because the pressure's on, you know? Ultimately, I try to be as faithful to these stories, but ultimately they are also my versions of these stories. So all I can bring... But with history, all I can bring is my enthusiasm and my personality more than any kind of 
you know, artistic craft or anything. That's a bad phrase to use. But it is it is different. There's no doubt it's, it's a very different approach. But I absolutely loved it. And um, I can give the sources that I went on. I was a lot... There was undeniably a lot more sources necessary for this episode and for these next... I basically plotted from now episode 84 up to the 100th episode which is exciting because usually i've only planned a couple of episodes ahead and we're still going to alternate between this new saga or as i'm going to call it the invasion saga or the invasion cycle that is what it shall henceforth be known as which is an original cycle of my own invention based on uh, the time of the vikings arrival in ireland to about, I imagine, uh, the Norman Conquest, which began English and British rule in this country. We may go a little bit further because we want to get to later heroes like uh, Fake McHugh O'Neill during the time of Queen Elizabeth. And, of course, the last figure from the Fireside theme song who has not had a uh, series of stories dedicated to her. And that is the great pirate queen, Gráinne Whale. But for the next couple of weeks, the next couple of months, we are going to be in Viking period territory. And I am going to keep it focused. This is an Irish storytelling podcast and will always be an Irish storytelling podcast because even if I'm adapting stories from another country, it's still me adapting them. I'm never going to be pretending to be from somewhere else. It's always going to be, I can only be an Irish man, an Irish storytelling, adapting these stories and telling his own version of these stories. But I think that's a valid point of view, and it's not a point of view I've seen, especially being so inspired by Neil Gaiman as I am and his great works emerging different mythologies from the Sandman novels to uh, American gods, uh, the idea of mixing mythologies is well worn, but I've never seen an Irish perspective on the Vikings in Ireland from uh, mixing the ideas of the, the Nordic beliefs, the Norse mythology of Odin and Thor with the Celtic mythology of Lu and Cúchulainn and Fionn McCool. And it maybe exists, it probably does exist. I mean, I can't be the first person to have thought of it. But, yeah, it feels like really good territory to be in. <clears throat> and Julius Caesar was my uh, specialist subject in uh, Leaving Cert History. I was at a big soft spot for it. My brother is an enormously knowledgeable uh, character on Julius Caesar and on ancient Rome particularly. It's what he did his master's on. And... Um, yeah, it was great to begin there because the heart, the reason more than anything that this episode was the hardest to start because it was the start of this new chapter of the podcast is where to begin. Where's your window? And I wanted to start with the arrival of the Vikings in Ireland. But the reason, one of the many reasons history is more difficult than storytelling is um, history doesn't necessarily have characters. It off, often does. But, you know, you have these first... 20, 30 years of Viking raids in Ireland without being able to put a face on it, without having characters to play with. And the first one we really get is Turgays. And we know very, very little about Turgays. He's known as a few different things. He's sometimes identified with Ragnar Lothbrook, who is the central character of the early seasons of the TV show Vikings, if there's anyone fan of that. Legendary figure in himself. Another figure who they're not sure... If he ex- there's no historical evidence for him having existed, but there is evidence of his kids having existed, which we'll meet one of Ivar the Boneless, the incredible named Ivar the Boneless, uh, in 
either the next episode or the episode after that. Um, and Turgay's is a similar one. We have accounts. We know he was, there was some, but we don't know if he was just a sea king, if he was royalty. We know he was there at the beginning, but he is the first face we can really put, or name we can put on the Viking invaders. And that's, stories are always going to be about people, whereas history is about events, and often with people, nearly always with people, but it just, it doesn't follow the same narrative structure, and of course history doesn't work with happily ever afters, or not, as it may turn out to be. So I am going to try and keep to the history, but keep, find the narrative, and find a through line, if I can, um, that goes with the ethos of this podcast, that it still feels like Fireside, that it isn't, Kevin C. Olhan's Poor Man's Attempt at, an, at a History Podcast, of which, as I said before, there are plenty fantastic ones, including Finn Dwyer's the Irish History Podcast. Um, I've mentioned before Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, one of the big podcasts in the world. I actually haven't listened to very much of Dan Carlin, but what I have listened to is his five-and-a-half-hour podcast, The Celtic Holocaust, which is about the Gallic War between Caesar and King Vercingetorix, which is incredible, and I cannot recommend that highly enough. Um, That quote from the beginning, actually, yes, the uh, incredible, I actually want to read that again. If a hundred heads of hardened iron could grow on one neck, and if each head possessed a hundred sharp, indestructible tongues of tempered metal, and if each tongue cried out incessantly a hundred irratigable loud voices, they would not be able to enumerate the griefs which the people of Ulster, which the people of Ireland, men and women, laymen and priests, young and old, have suffered at the hands of these warlike, ruthless pagans. So that is from the Annals of Ulster, which was written by some of these early Christian scribes at the time. It is one of the few primary sources we have for that initial Viking invasion. And it it is beautiful. It is an outrageously flowery and incredibly beautiful sentence that really paints the apocalypse that they thought the Viking invasion was and really paints a picture to the so vividly of the violence uh, these these Vikings incurred when they were raiding and pillaging and kidnapping that was the main thing that's why Ireland became so valuable you know because there wasn't a huge amount of wealth in any of these monasteries because there were monasteries and towers but there wasn't any towns or cities um, so all there was was a lot of people. So usually when the Vikings were coming, they were taking people and there was the booming Irish slave trade, which is then what attracted the Danes here. My God, there's going to be so much to talk about and this is already a very long episode, which is also no harm as long as you're enjoying it. Um, and I hope you can feel my enthusiasm for this material. Uh, before I go, I will just talk about some of the sources that I've been going on for this. My initial one was, I've talked, in a previous podcast to think about this is an audio series called A Short History of Ireland by Dr. Jonathan Barden. It's a BBC Northern Ireland audio radio series that was on a number of years ago, but the entire thing is up as an audiobook on Audible when I was trying to make my way through all of Audible's Irish history audiobooks. And it's still my favorite. It's in 245 minute episodes. And it has a cast 
which can be good, can be bad. You know, sometimes you just like one narrator rather than actors coming in and um, trying to put their own stamp on. And I speak of that as an actor myself. Uh, but it's very good. It's very good stuff. It basically goes from there being nobody here right up to World War Two, the outbreak of World War Two. Long, long gone, but it was exactly what I was looking for because I wanted a brief overview of Ireland's start to present to see where the major gaps in my knowledge of Irish history were. And I found out they were at times like at the Elizabethan conquest. And one of them I definitely discovered was with the Vikings. And I live in Dublin and Dublin is the great Viking city and was one of, if not the greatest city in the Viking empire for a time. Uh, so the short history of Ireland by Dr. Jonathan Barden was a great window in but still, I knew so little about the Vikings themselves. I couldn't find anything. Audible is, is a thing I, I use a lot because I'm usually quite backdated in the books that I read. So Audible I use particularly for a lot of non-fiction and history. Um, I could find relatively little on the Vikings in Ireland. I used to give uh, walking tours and... Um, one of my walking tours that I do during the day, uh, I take tours around Dublin and I talk about the Vikings and I always feel very limited by my knowledge of the Vikings. But eventually I found, I've been a fan of the Great Courses for a while, audio series, audio lecture series just on different topics. Um, I don't really know, I've never really talked to anyone about the Great Courses. I don't know how rated they are, but I've I've found them very, very hit and miss, but... I really like them. I listened to a fantastic one on Irish, on the Irish identity, on the arts, on the arts of Ireland uh, from about the 18th century to the present. It's narrated by uh, an American lecturer who, um, to be fair to him, like he knows his stuff, and uh, you know he he doesn't get as many things any as many pronunciations wrong as as normally happens uh, when people try to pronounce hell when irish people try to pronounce irish things half the time i'm sure i've made many many mistakes over the course of this podcast but um i did like it i liked it a lot but then i found ones there is one on fairy tales and wonder tales which just really didn't grab me at all it wasn't particularly well reviewed but i thought i'd absolutely leap off it but i couldn't really stick it out but what I did get and this was quite highly rated was The Vikings by Professor Kenneth Harrell and it is it's a great courses and it's on Audible I really have got to get start getting sponsorship from Audible I give them so much plugging on this uh, but I'm a big I'm a big Audible fan uh, I walk I walk around a lot audiobooks are my absolute jam and um, but the Vikings by Professor Kenneth Harrell, now the, that is the entire history of the Vikings. You know, there are only two lectures on the Vikings in Ireland, but they're two damn good lectures. And also he looks into the Norse beliefs from a historical point of view. And it's great looking at the Vikings history in Ireland from the Viking point of view. He's also an American lecturer, um, but he is... Obviously, his subject is the Vikings rather than the Irish, so it doesn't have the same demonizing the Vikings aspect that Irish history sometimes can have, as we'll get into majorly with Brian Baru and the Battle of Clontarf, which is 
kind of one of the big climaxes this new cycle will be building up to um they it it gets into the narrative like i said in the end of the story of celt versus viking which is really not the case the battle of clontarf of 1014 which is uh, this great war that uh this great battle where Brian Brew supposedly drove the Vikings out of Ireland. That's not at all true. It's not at all how it happened. And it began as a narrative from Brian Brew's early descendants right through to today uh, to paint Brian as the hero who drove the Vikings out of Ireland. Isn't how it happened. But we'll get all to that. But yeah, The Vikings by Professor Kenneth Hall in tandem then with another great courses book on the Celts by Professor Jennifer Paxton. And both of these, again, only touch on in in a few lectures on the Vikings in Ireland. But they were the two opposite points of view that really complemented then A Short History of Ireland by Jonathan Barton. And then, yeah, just reading what I can on the internet, just trying to piece it all together and then throwing away all the references and just try and tell my story, my version of this, to the best of my ability, to the best of my understanding of the facts, I'm sure, hopefully, there won't be too many things wrong. Hopefully, I won't be uh, hung for this, hung from Yggdrasil, from the Norse Norse tree where Odin sacrificed himself to himself. Hopefully, I won't be strung up to Yggdrasil for crimes against the Vikings or crimes against the Celts. But I hope, strap yourselves in, folks. This is a new chapter of Fireside of... uh, of an incredibly fascinating period where myth and history, where the where the blurred line starts to come into focus more and more. This is this is the period where it is the last of the myth. This is there are characters we're gonna meet like Brian Baru, like Dermot McMurrah, and these are the last periods of history where we have only the Christian chroniclers to go on the history sources of where legend still rules, where we don't know a huge amount before when we get, when we start getting into the 14th, 15th, 16th century, history becomes stronger and stronger until we get to today where, you know, there's barely any myth at all because we know everything about everyone. Uh, But I think this feels like the right direction to go. Uh, We're still going to balance it with the folklore. This is still going to be the story of Ireland. We are just, I'm just trying to give you the context and to balance the mixture of the Norse mythology with the Viking, with the Celtic, and yeah, I absolutely I had hoped to record two episodes in this recording session, but this has now become, I think, maybe the longest episode of Fireside. But that is also no harm, um, if it's good stuff and if you enjoyed it. So I hope you did. Let me know if you have any thoughts about it. Positive feedback, negative feedback, whatever. Um, always great to hear from you, the listeners. Contact me at FiresideBard on Instagram. Email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Uh, donate to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash fireside podcast. Thank you to Alan, Patty, and Connor here at Headstuff. Great, great, great to be back in the studio. And thank you to Jamie, my editor, for continuing to edit this podcast. And thank you once again to you, the listener. I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.